535, heading south to Laredo. About to pick us some pounds so we can make us some queso. No luggage in the trunk, just me and Saki. Headed back down to Texas, now we serving these beans. We back. I hope you guys had a good Memorial Day. It's your boy, AAA, riding solo today because Mila is under the weather. So, been a couple weeks since our last show. Took some time off from Memorial Day, spending some time with the fam. Uh, hope you guys had an enjoyable weekend. But we're back now. We got Rangers. We got Royals. We got Mavs talk. How they doing? Uh, but first, oh, we also got Cowboys rumors, too, that we will address on the show. We're going to save the Mavs for the end part because they're the team that's like in the postseason right now. So we got a lot to talk about them. But let's start off with the Rangers. Now, we tried to tell you guys, and I'm so sorry, Rangers fan, but we tried to tell you guys. Mila told you guys that the Rangers weren't going to be very good this year. And in baseball, unlike a lot of other sports like football, you are who you are. If you're not good over the course of a 162-game season, you're going to show who you are. So that Rangers start where they started out playing 500 ball was an aberration. Like, like it wasn't true. It's not who they are. In baseball, you will go through ups and downs. And right now, the Rangers are on an eight-game losing streak. They're under 500. They're last in the division. And that's who the Rangers are. They're a bad baseball team. We told you that going into the season that they weren't going to be good. Now, the other thing we told you is that there's a guy to watch, Joey Gallo. And now there's another guy to watch who we'll get into in a little bit. But let's talk about Joey Gallo. This is the guy to watch that we pinned for you this year. Not because he is, you know, the most exciting Rangers player going into the season, but because this is what we think his his last season in in Texas or on the Rangers roster. Um, if you look at it, he's not playing that great. And what we told you is that Joey Gallo was either going to play so great that he was going to force the Rangers to sign him long term, or he was going to be traded at the deadline. And the way he's playing right now, it's leaning heavily, very heavily towards this is it. He's gone at the deadline. And if you're asking, well. What about resigning him in the offseason for cheap because he's having a bad year? The answer is no. Based on the agent that Joey Gallo has, is he's going to get as much money as possible. There's not, not going to be a hometown discount. There's not going to be, a, oh, you know, you know, let me do a one-year deal here and see if I can't get even more money. No, he's going to lock up a long-term deal in the offseason or... What most likely is going to happen, he's going to have a deal at the deadline when he gets traded. (laughs) So unless he gets traded to a team that he doesn't like, but with a player like him on the last year of his deal, before any trade goes through, that team is going to want assurances that they're going to re-sign him long-term. So look look for this to be the end of the Joey Gallo era in in Texas, in a Rangers uniform. Um, Sad, but you have another guy who's kind of like making you forget about Joey Gallo, right? Garcia, uh, a guy that no one predicted to do anything for the for the Rangers, uh, a guy that not many people even heard of, but he's the other guy to watch. So until the Joey Gallo trade happens, Garcia is the most exciting thing that you can look out for if you're a Rangers fan. Now, like we talked about the Rangers and the fact that they're going to be bad this year because it's a 162-game season, the same kind of goes with Garcia. Not that he's going to be bad, but the this season, especially because he got to start early in the season and has a lot of games under his belt and will probably play out the rest of the year, barring an injury, is the fact that you're going to learn who he is. 
So this is going to tell you if Garcia is worth looking at as a building block or if he's just a guy. Now, right now, he's telling you, hey, I'm worth it. I'm worth being a building block, but it's also early, right? And we see this with a lot of young guys or a lot of new guys in the major leagues. The real test comes after the all-star break. Okay, I got some tape on you. I know what pitches you're good at hitting. I know what pitches you're bad at hitting. I know what your deficiencies are. And right now, Garcia, since he's a unknown guy, is kind of benefiting from a lack of a scouting report on him. So the real test for him is going to come after that all-star break. So while Rangers fans should be very excited that you have a potential star on your hands, you might need to pump the brakes a little bit and wait till after the all-star break to see what he does, to see what he really is. Because there is moments where, hey, we all thought Rugi was going to be the guy, right? Or Joey Gallo looked at the guy. And then all of a sudden, when those scattering reports start becoming more detailed on you, you start to dwindle off. And I'm not saying this is going to happen to Garcia. I'm just saying, do not promote him to the franchise. Do not promote him to the the guy that you're going to build your future team around and, until you have a larger a larger data pool, right? So let's wait till I see the all-star break. Come all-star break, team should have seen him enough to really put a scouting report on him. And you should be able to start to make a better judgment on him. The good thing is he's going to be cheap. So he's going to be worth taking a look at in the next couple of years because, hey, I am cheap. The Rangers aren't good. They aren't going to be good next year either. So you have some time to kind of take a look at some guys. So that's kind of it on the Rangers talk. Now, let's pivot to the Royals talking. Guys, I I told you this at the start of the season. I told you this when the Royals were on a losing streak. Bet the over. Even when the Royals were losing, I said bet the over. Because it's baseball and it's 162 games and you're going to go through a losing streak. And when you are a young team and you are a team that is learning how to win for the first time in what I dubbed the year of fighting over 500, you're going to go through what is a prolonged losing streak because you're learning how to overcome a losing streak, right? You're learning how to build wins. You're learning how to come back from failures. And during that course of the year, when a young team is learning how to overcome these issues, they'll go on a losing streak that's longer than what it should be. The heck, they'll also go on a winning streak that's longer than what it should be. And so this is what you're going to see from this Royals team. They're going to fight the battle of fighting to be over 500. Now, I'm not saying the playoffs are out of it. Uh, They're still there. As long as you hover around over 500, you're always going to be in the mix for a wild card. I did say they're going to have to jump another team, uh, you know, when we did our our, our season preview. And I, I still stand by that. So, you know, Watch the Royals. They're going to be in the mix uh, battling over 500. This is going to set a, a good precedent for next year. Now, the player I told you guys to watch is Mondi, who finally came back to the Royals lineup, who's looked really good in his uh, very small sample size. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of articles about like, hey, Mondi's here. Mondi's the guy. Uh, you know, Mondi's back. But I, I just want to cost you. I know you. I know he's hitting well. I know he's hitting some bombs. I know he looks really good, but just like we've seen countless times with him, he's a streaky player. So let's pump the brakes and let's also forget that, you know, some of the games he played was against the last place Minnesota Twins, the last place Pittsburgh Pirates. I I know he looked good against Tampa Bay, but also that was his start of the season before they really start looking at you. So let's just pump the brakes a little bit on Mondi. Now, you might call me a Mondi hater. I promise you I'm not a Mondi hater. I want great things for Mondi, but 
I just want us to be realistic and, and use this opportunity to see what he really is. The good thing that the Royals have on Monday is that he's got two years of arbitration after this year. And it would be incorrect if you're not a baseball fan to think of arbitration as a franchise tag. It's a little different than that. So a franchise tag, you're playing, you're paying a premium for a guy, uh, you know, top, top, top dollar for him, right? Comparable to what all of the other stars make at that position. In baseball, you're not doing that. You're getting a guy for still cheap. You're paying him more than what his rookie deal is, but he's still cheap to what his true value is. So you get two years of this if you want. You get him one year of arbitration, and then you can do another year of arbitration if you want. So the Royals still have time to decide on what they want to do with Monty. And no matter what happens this year, unless Monty goes goes you know absolutely bananas and continues this hot streak he probably won't get a multi-year deal and that's the thing to look for this year for the royals if they truly believe in mondi they're not gonna let him go to arbitration if they truly believe in him if he has a mediocre year they're probably not going to cut him because they're going to want something for him. So think of this as a delayed sign and trade, right? You have two years of basically to pull off a delayed sign and trade. Let's sign him in arbitration for cheap. And then if he gets hot, let's flip him, right? Or if he gets hot for a prolonged period of time and proves that he can be a guy, then let's sign him long term. So that's the thing to watch with him. That's why this year was so big for Monty, and this year is why I said Monty's the guy to watch because he's on his final year, uh, the final year of his contract, you know, pre-arbitration. So this is it. This is his opportunity to get a multi-year deal to show the roles he is the guy because if he starts to go into that arbitration waters, now even though the Royals tell you they believe in you, without a multi-year deal, how much do they really believe in you? So. As the season progresses, continue to look at Monty to see how he's doing because pressure's coming. And Bobby Witt's looking really good. And you're saying, hey, uh, hey, Triple A, they can play both of them at the same time. You're absolutely right. But if Monty's struggling and you got Nikki Lopez doing well and you got Bobby Witt looking good and you got Whit Merrifield looking good, there's going to be an odd man out. So continue to watch Mondi. Hopefully you can keep this up and make the decision really easy for the Royals. No matter what, Bobby Witt will see the field this year. But depending on how the Royals play will depend on when Bobby Witt comes up. But he's looking good. He's looking very good in the minors right now. So that timetable on, on when he's coming is starting to speed up, especially as the Royals stay more competitive. You know, he might come a little quicker. You know, if the season goes kabloom it looks doom and gloom then they're not going to waste a year of service by bringing bobby so just continue to watch that royals looking good bet the over on them i told you to bet the over on them they're looking like they're going to make that easily and you know barring a couple hot streaks they might get uh might get into the mix in the playoffs so let's watch that for that to happen though we definitely need duffy back in the mix uh monty he has definitely got to stay hot you know or at least stay healthy which is two of the things he hasn't been able to do but we'll see we'll see not hating on monty hopefully we got the best for him now we got one more topic before uh, we get into the Mavs. I know we all want to talk about the Mavs, but let's get a couple things out of the way real quick, the Dallas Cowboys. There are rumors going around that they're looking at a trade partner for Leighton Van Der Esch, and I'm here to tell you to hold your breath. It ain't happening, it, or at least it ain't happening right now. He's going to start the season with the Dallas Cowboys, and it's really simple. You're not going to trade an asset for a guy in the last year of his deal 
who hasn't shown you that he can finish a whole season, who you're worried about has a potential career-ending neck injury. If you are on any other team, why are you trading for that guy, right? Why are you giving any high assets for him? And if you're the Cowboys, why are you accepting a low asset, you know, a six or seven round pick, which is probably the only thing you could get for him right now for a guy that you drafted in the first round? So it's not going to happen. It's not happening right now. Now, that's not to say if, hey, he's playing great for the season. He's looking really good. The Dallas Cowboys actually have an asset now that they can trade for a, a mid to high round pick. Then then you do it. Then you absolutely do it if you don't need him, especially because you declined that fifth-year option. But as of right now, it makes no sense why anybody would trade for him and why the Dallas Cowboys would trade for him. So either he's going to look good and then you get to end of October, early November, depending on when they decide to put the trade deadline, and you, you trade him then if you're really trying to get rid of him. Or you you play the season and he gets no time and he's last on the depth chart, then you trade him then for nothing because you're going to lose him anyway. Now, the smart thing to do is bring him into the season and have linebacker death because you have two linebackers starting last year that have injury issues. So you're probably going to need the depth anyway. And then you let it play out. You let you find out which linebackers are going to be your linebackers of the future. And then you start to make the decisions on the ones that aren't going to be the ones of the future, right? Or you, you, you get your rotation going. There's no reason to trade him right now. You keep him for depth. He, either he plays himself into a starting lineup, he plays himself out of Dallas, or he plays himself into a trade. That's it. There is no trade right now. Anything that happens with Leighton Vanderesh happens into the season. Now let's get our Mavs talk on. Mavs just won a nail biter. Game five, they're finally up three two, and this series can be pretty much described as living by the three, dying by the three, live three or die hard. It is basically what the Mavs have been doing all series, and apparently they like to do it on the road because they just can't win at home. But they they pulled it off. They beat the Clips. They're up. They get two chances at this: one at home and one back in LA to close out the series, and. The three is the great equalizer because every game the Mavs are getting dominated in the paint, but the games where they're able to hold the clips to poor shooting from three while them themselves shoot better from three, they win, and it's that simple. The Mavs are getting outscored on the bench. They're getting outscored in the paint, and the great equalizer in this is the three-point shot. And the games where the Mavs shoot really well from three, they win. The only exception being game three because the Clippers also shot really well from three. So you can't win a game where you lose bench points, you lose paint points, and you barely win threes, right? So the games where they're able to hold the Clippers to poor shooting from three, and they themselves shoot well from three, they win. It's it's that easy for the Mavs. And that pretty much describes this series. Now, there would be a couple things the Mavs could do to where they aren't so dependent on that three-point shot. Like, you know, Porzingis showing up and, and demanding the ball or dominating, which if you watch today's game, he was virtually non-existent. I have no single Porzingis highlights out, outside of the first two minutes of this game where he actually took the ball and drove it to the hoop. He was... He's been non-existent in this game. Josh Richardson's been kind of non-existent. Uh, your your bench in general has been non-existent in this series outside of like Jalen Brunson in the first couple of games. It's really been all Luka and Hardaway and the three-point shot most of this series. And, and that's what you need to kind of equalize this. You needed another guy to kind of help 
Luca out. I mean, Luca can't go Dame Lillard on the Clippers every single game. And that's also why the Clippers were able to get back into this game five is Luca started off super hot. Shots weren't falling in the fourth. The Clippers were able to get back into it. Luckily, there were some big shots made uh, towards the end of that game. They, they kind of like saved off the Clippers and they kind of waited too long to turn it on. But they're there needs to be another guy to help Luca because you can't continue this hot shooting. We saw after game one and two, uh, the Mavs started to go ice cold midway through the third game, and then it prolonged into game four. Luckily, the Mavs were able to start game five hot after some rest, after Luca getting a little healthy, but you can't bank on this hot shooting from three to continue. You're going to have a bad game, and you're going to have to win one of these ugly games. Luckily, today you shot 39% from three, which really helps overcome all the all the ugliness outside of Luca and Hardaway in today's game. But we'd be foolish to dwell on the games of past. And, and let's look towards game six. It's at home where the Mavs have not been good this season. I, I don't know what it is about the AAC, but for some reason, the Mavs do not like to play there. I don't know if they <laughs> if they don't like the music that's puppet. I don't know if they don't like the number of fans that are in there. But for some reason, the Mavs don't play well at home, which is kind of like the opposite of what you think about, right? You think teams are better at home because their role players feel more comfortable with the hoop. They they feel more comfortable with the game. But if you looked, you know, at the Mavs this season, like they're 21 and 15 at home and 21, 15 away. Usually you see some type of disparity between playing home and away where you see a much better home record then you do away record, but that's not the case uh, for them, right? Like if you look at the Phoenix Suns, they were 27 and nine at home versus 24 and 12 away. Heck, even Golden State, for example, they were 25 and 11 at home and 14 and 22 away. Like there's usually a comfort that comes with playing at home, but it, it seems to not happen for the Mavs. But let's look at game six and what needs to happen. One, Luka has to stay high. Luka has to score over 30 points. They can't they, they can't win with him having a mediocre game or a great game for any other player that's not named Luka, right? If someone scores 27, that's that's a great game. But it, it's not a great game for Luka, and it's not good enough for the Mavs to win. So first domino is Luka dominates. And the games where he dominates, he needs, I'm, I'm talking over 30, preferably over 35 plus uh, for Luka to score, for the Mavs to really have a shot to win. I mean, today's game was a perfect example. You know, he goes for 40 plus, they win. Kawhi has a bad game, but imagine if Kawhi had a halfway decent game. You know, you you were going to need every single point that Luka gave you. So first things first, Luka needs to dominate. Luka has to have a big game. Luka has to score over 30 and preferably over 35. Uh, Next thing, hot shooting from three has to happen. The Mavs need to be minimum 40% from three. That's a very high percentage from three. It's very unlike, it's it's hard for a team to do that consistently. The Mavs have been able to do that in their wins in this series, or at least shoot, shoot right around that. And that has to continue for the Mavs to have any shot. You need some things to help you overcome the deficiencies that you have in the paint when it comes to paint scoring and when it comes to second chance points off rebounds. The Mavs are not a good rebounding team. They're not a good paint scoring team. So the three is their great equalizer. They live by it. They die by it. So they need to shoot well from three. The second thing is you need to hold the Clippers to under 30% shooting from three. While you live by the three, you need the Clippers to die by threes because the Clippers cannot dominate you in the paint, the boards, and three. They, 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 they can dominate you in the paint boards, but they better not dominate you from three because that is the equalizer. And if you lose that advantage by letting them shoot over 30% from three, you're going to have a hard time beating them. 
So we gave you Luka dominating, the mass shooting well from three, the Clippers shooting other 30% from three. And then the second thing is you need some other guy. You, you need a third score, right? It's It's been either Luka and Hardaway or Luka JB. They need a third guy to contribute, some third guy to give them over – 15 some third guy to get into the 20s some third guy to offer some type of offensive production and what you would really like is like oh if you looked at the mass box store it's luca dominating hardaway getting you 20 something and chris christoph Porzingis getting you 20 something which hasn't happened uh, I don't know where our third score has been i don't know where Porzingis has been all series uh, i mean there are times in this game where he is virtually invisible. And outside of Zubat, who's, you know, seven foot something, there is nobody here that is close to the height of Porzingis. So he should be able to shoot over the top of anybody. I know he has a fadeaway. We all see it. And he can dribble well enough to attack the rim. So the question is, why hasn't he? You know, and you can give me, well, in Carlisle's offense, he's made to sit uh, at the three-point line and, and wait for the ball. But that's not good enough it's not good enough to use that excuse because he's not actively trying to get open or if he is when he gets the ball he's missing his shots so if you miss then you need to attack the rim and get to the line and that's not what he's doing so he looks disinterested he needs to get interested if the Mavs want to close out the Clippers in in these next two games so three-point shooting Luka dominating, Clippers three-point shooting, and get you a third guy. It doesn't necessarily have to be Porzingis, but it would be really nice if the guy that you're paying a max contract to happens to contribute. <laughs> so that's what that's what I'd like to see. Hopefully the Mavs can close this out at home because you don't want to go to game seven against Kawhi Leonard. And if I had to make a prediction, if the Mavs don't win game six, they're not going to win game seven. That's my prediction. I hate being right about things, but I might be right about this. So so hit us up at i35 Sports CXN on Twitter. Be sure to follow us. Be sure to retweet us if you like the podcast. And we'll talk to you guys hopefully after a Mav series win this Friday.